0: And welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana.
1: And I'm David. And what are we watching this week? 1988's Christmas classic? Scrooged. A selfish, cynical television executive is haunted by three spirits bearing lessons on Christmas Eve.
0: Oh yeah, it's a Christmas carol. Again. Yep. Yep.
1: But it's Bill Murray, so it's funny.
0: There are funny moments. <laughs> I do adore Bill Murray.
1: I'm excited for the debate I feel like we're about to have. Okay. The budget for this film was $32 million. Think about it and you'll I, realize I, how I, we could get there.
0: I'm I'm thinking about it right now. How much did it make?
1: It made 60328558 Yeah,
0: It's a moderate success.
1: It was a movie. It made a little profit. In its time, it was not popular.
0: It's a holiday movie. A lot of holiday movies don't hit it out of the park.
1: What are your initial thoughts about this movie? This movie's garbage. Garbage? Garbage. What kind of garbage, though? Like, just thrown away garbage that didn't get too stinky or, like, diaper garbage?
0: The first one? Because there are good elements there are things they if they could have tweaked it it could have been better but overall it's
1: just garbage i would call it a mess it's
0: definitely a mess
1: yeah it's a hot mess that nevertheless i kind of enjoy because i enjoy the style of humor being employed i like the jokes and not the movie
0: does that make sense yeah i can understand that (laughs) but it's still a crappy movie uh, it's a crappy movie. I
1: don't think so. It is a crappy movie. Well, you're not in bad company here. Roger Ebert thinks this may be the worst adaptation of A Christmas Carol he's ever seen on film.
0: I have seen a lot of Christmas Carol. I have done A Christmas Carol. Uh, I have I have seen it in every way you could possibly see it.
1: But set aside everything but film. Yeah, this is the worst adaptation of yes, Christmas Carol it is. It I've is. seen. Now, the The hard part about that is there's so many of the Christmas Carol films that have come out that are very, very good. Mm-hmm. And I haven't have seen a whole lot of the, the earlier ones. The mm-hmm. biggest one that comes to my mind is Muppet, Muppet Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carole.
0: Muppet Christmas Carol is fantastic. Not only because it has Michael Caine, but the Muppets. It's Muppets.
1: But I've never seen the Patrick Stewart version. I've never seen the Albert Finney version. It's I've never Albert seen... Fitty. Any of the older ones, going back to the 60s, and Basil Rathbone. I
0: saw that one. Because I think we did it in school, because we read A Christmas Carol. So, of course, in, in school, particularly junior high, if you read the book, you got to watch the movie.
1: Yeah, well, at that some was, point, the teacher needs an off day that's for the lesson freebie, plan. Those are your
0: freebie two days, because it takes two <laughs> class periods, and the teacher does not want to talk to us anymore. No. Or listen to us complain about how horrible the book was that none of us really, truly read.
1: Yeah, Let's start with our writers. First of all, we get Mitch Glazer... Who has almost no known credits to his name. His biggest claim to fame, honestly, was first being married to Wendy Malick, who appears in this film. Yeah. And then to Kelly Lynch. His biggest thing that he does have is that he was a writer on the early seasons of SNL.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because you see a lot of SNL people in
1: this. And he wrote the most recent Very Murray Christmas special and directed it.
0: He directed that because that's kind of garbage, too.
1: It is kind of garbage. It's
0: trying so hard. Like I, that one, I can, I, can, I can see what they were trying to do and they missed the mark.
1: Well, I feel like that one is trying to do a restrained, thoughtful version of this. And
0: they should have gone wacky because that, that one would have been better wacky.
1: This movie needs to be somewhere between that and this. Somewhere in the middle there. No. The biggest thing about that is that he worked with our other writer who is a very famous person, Mike O'Donohue. Now he's not famous, famous, but in comedy circles he Mm -hmm. is a big fucking deal because he is a founding member of the National Lampoon magazine Mm -hmm. and was the original head writer for Saturday Night Live. Okay, so those first six seasons Mm -hmm. he was the head dude. He was very destructive and dark humorist. I mean, read National Lampoon and you'll see that. But uh, first six seasons of SNL, you'll see that. And this is his only major film writing credit. Okay, he didn't really do. Other major movies he just wrote for SNL and then kind of went about his way and took, did his own thing. Took, took his money and
0: relaxed. Probably. Probably stopped doing cocaine. Well, could be that. Yeah. This movie's garbage. The writing's horrible. The, I, idea, the idea is fine.
1: I don't think the writing is that horrible. I really don't. First of all, I have reasons to say that when you hear some of this trivia.
0: No, I'm knowing who's in the movie. I can definitely see. Okay, this was our script, but. Was it our script? Like, I know. I know who's playing around here. But we've seen A Christmas Carol a bajillion times. Even in A by 88, we've seen it a million times. We know the story. You got to do something different.
1: Well, I think knowing Mike O'Donohue, set aside Mitch Glazer because I think he's just a hack. Mike O'Donohue, to me, had that sensibility to do something very different and probably much darker than what this movie turned out to be. And it would have been way more interesting. But I think the real problem we have here is our director, who is Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. Richard Donner is a big fucking deal director. His major film debut was The Omen. Oh, okay. Then he directed Superman, Superman 2, and the director's cut of that film, which mm-hmm. is its own story. The Toy, *Lady Hawk*, The Goonies, we've covered here. Lethal Weapons 1, 2, 3, and 4. And also after this, he does Radio Flyer, Conspiracy Theory, Maverick. And the last film he did was 16 Blocks. So looking at that list of movies.
0: There's talent there.
1: But this is the wrong guy for this movie. This is an SNL, super weird, dark humor movie. You know who
0: would have done this so well? Who? Frank Oz. Yeah. Frank Oz directed What About Bob? Who could have taken this script? And the weirdness, kept the weirdness, but had fun with it in a good way, while still allowing it to be dark when it could be dark. Allowing Bill Murray's character to be dark, because that's who you need to be dark. Oh, yeah. And everyone else should be light and happy. It would have been Frank Oz.
1: Who else would have been better? Harold Ramis. Harold Suck. Ramis would have done Harold this Ramis. movie perfectly. Ivan
0: Reitman. Any of those dudes.
1: Any of, the, any of that crew that was in and around. would have
0: known what to do with this. And
1: understood that humor. Yeah. Because the other problem that Richard Donner had was Murray and he did not get along. And Bill Murray is known for this. But the thing is, Bill Murray doesn't get pissed at directors unless he thinks they're terrible at what they're doing.
0: He is an impatient man. He is. If If you're dicking around and you don't know what you're doing or you're making it so that nobody can do what they're good at, which is assuming why you were hired to do the thing you're good at, he has no patience
1: for that. And Richard Donner is, no doubt, a talented director. True. So Um, that's not the problem.
0: This is not his genre. He does not understand how comedic people work, which is different than dramatic actors.
1: Which then led to Bill Murray constantly ad-libbing. Yep. Because at that point, he feels like he has no way to get his voice Mm -hmm. across without just making shit up. Yep. And Richard Donner's quote about trying to direct Bill Murray was, It's like standing on 42nd Street in Broadway, and the lights are out, and you're the traffic cop.
0: <laughs> that is not an unfair assessment, I would assume, of being in a room with Bill Murray.
1: That leads us straight into our cast. Okay. I don't need to give you credits for Bill Murray.
0: I'm aware of who he is.
1: <laughs> if you don't, for some reason, know stuff, I just put Ghostbusters, Stripes, Rushmore, Life Aquatic, and Lost in Translation.
0: Those are some hits. Some hits. (laughs) Minor hits. I think my favorite movies are not on that list with him.
1: That's totally fair.
0: That would be Groundhog Day. Oh, yes. And what about Bob?
1: Both right after this movie. Both phenomenal films. Interesting. This was his first starring role after Ghostbusters. Okay. He had appeared in Little Shop of Horrors Okay. in a minor role, but... He had not done any starring roles and he was living in Paris and had seriously considered giving up acting altogether. Okay.
0: Well, I could see him being, I'm tired. I'm going to do nothing now.
1: I think the biggest reason that he did come on board with this is because of Mike O'Donohue. I bet you that that crew were like, hey, Bill, this would be perfect for you. And he went, okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll come along Christmas with this. It's
0: a Christmas carol, but this dude's horrible and he works for a TV series and then we're going to have this super, the Superman dude do it. Okay,
1: cool. This seems like a little bit less of the Bill Murray thinks everybody's dumb story, like with a Garfield. Mm -hmm. He went into this really excited because he thought it was a great idea. Let's take Scrooge, make him young and make him funny. Sure. We can play completely around with that idea. We'll have so much fun figuring that out. The experience was so disheartening, though. Mm -hmm. So number one He went in and helped with a ton of rewrites to the script. He helped play up the romance because it sounds like he got an incredibly dark, depressing script and went, okay, we can't just do that. That's not going to play. There does have to be some sentimental value Mm -hmm. to what we're watching here. Otherwise, I can't say these horrible things because no one will eventually. There has to be something
0: redeeming about me in my past. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Just
1: any tiny Because if I was
0: always a dick, nobody cares if I stop being a dick today.
1: But Donner wound up cutting most of those ideas. Hmm. Roger Ebert asked him if he had any disagreements with Donner on set. And Bill Murray went, only a few every single minute of the day. That could have been a really, really great movie. The script was so good. There's maybe one take in the final cut of the movie that is mine. We made it so fast, it was like doing a movie live. He just kept telling me to do things louder, louder, louder. I think he was deaf. (coughs) He talked about that they basically just filmed all these scenes and made long, long things. And then Donner wound up taking it and cutting it together on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. And Murray's just like, that is no way to deal with a, sc- a comedy in a script like this. You
0: can't do that.
1: They they just, they cut so much stuff from this long rambling piece. And that's why it feels so choppy and so sloppy instead of tight and how it needs to be.
0: The sequence that is the best comedically is the one with Carol King.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Because that woman is... She just puts mustard on everything. To, to steal a quote from Mike Show when he's talking about Maya Rudolph, she just puts mustard on everything and it's amazing.
1: She does. Some of that is the perfect chemistry between yes. the actors, but also everything feels so tight and balanced in how it's being done. Any ad libs that Murray does, Carol Kane can jump right on. And
0: so can she. Now, those are two people who are evenly matched in a scene. They're playing in the same game they know what they're doing. So you just turn on the camera and say go.
1: And I honestly, I like the sequence with the Ghost of Christmas past. I don't know that it's, it's horrible. Uh it's horrible. But I like I like the story ideas that are coming across there. And the Ghost of Christmas future sequence is actually kind of fascinating. They go dark with it. I, it's just that we haven't earned that throughout the rest of the movie.
0: It's, it's played more cheesy than dark. Like I like like when we get to the when we actually see the scene, it's fine, but all the build up to it where he's in his office, it's just it's none of it's earned and it's it's cheesy. Yeah, I know. And it's bad.
1: Moving on to the rest of our cast, mm-hmm. Karen Allen. She was a lady in a movie. She's so much better than this. Yes. She really is.
0: Yeah, I was like, I know her. Why do I know her? And you're like, Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. She's great in that. Yep. She's great in Indiana Jones.
1: Uh, Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indy in the Crystal Skull. She also made her debut in Animal House. Cruising, Starman, The Glass Menagerie. After this, she did Malcolm X, The Sandlot. She was the mom in The oh, Sandlot. Yeah, she was. The Perfect Storm and In the Bedroom. She
0: had a nice little run there.
1: Yeah, this just isn't her best work. No. Nope. And it's, it's
0: probably Indiana
1: Jones. It's just lackluster. Like I was like, I want more from you and I want you to fight him back she's, because you're so willing to give in to his bullshit all the time. She's
0: just one note. That's ladies in the eighties movies for you.
1: Next credited was John Forsyth, who was Fred Hayward, his, his super boss. dead boss.
0: Oh, that's a really dead one.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: It could have been anybody. Nothing special. Good makeup effects, the end.
1: You may remember him as a little guy named Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Nope.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I was born in the 80s. Well,
1: hey, you know. He was also Charlie in the new Charlie's Angels, too. I have not seen
0: the Charlie's Angels movies.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay, I'll add it to the list. Summer's going to be fun next
1: year. Goodness gracious. Next up, we get John Glover as Bruce, the California smarmy dude. I got to say for a smarmy TV exec from California he does a really good job. Yeah, he's he's been yeah. he's been in and around everything just not in any big movies or any big roles right. He's rather.
0: one of that he's a he's a that dude.
1: Yep, he is a that guy. That's
0: okay. He's fine. Decades. He plays his part.
1: All right, now here's one I know you're going to you're gonna eye roll massively at Bobcat Goldthwait as Elliot Loudermilk.
0: Okay, so we're watching this. You're like, "Tell me, you know who that is? Tell me, you know who this?". Is. I'm looking at, it, and I was like, "I could see him having been like a child actor, but like, all right." <laughs> I'm looking at you, like, is Bobcat Goldthwait? I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck that dude. I don't care." Oh. People talk about him all the time, and I could not care less about him. Any interview he's been in, I'm like, "This guy is so fucking boring." I could not care less about Bobcat Goldthwait.
1: Your biggest claim to fame for him, honestly, would be Pain from Hercules.
0: Oh, yeah. That's his voice.
1: Mm-hmm. Also directed three movies, World's Greatest Dad, God Bless America, and Willow Creek. But his biggest thing now is he has been directing tons and tons of stand-up specials for comedians. Cool. Including the last two, Patton Oswalt. He is the go-to guy now because he just he understands the voice and he mm-hmm. understands how to show it. Can I say low-key, I think he actually does an okay job in this movie. He's good in his role. I think he's really good. One of the things Bobcat always got guff for was his voice. Mm -hmm. Everybody makes fun of it because he he does that weasely thing. But he picks his moments when to do it, and that's the thing nobody ever thinks about.
0: Yeah, no, he's great.
1: Yeah. David Johansson as the ghost of Christmas past.
0: Who is that dude? What's he been (laughs) in?
1: He is the former lead singer of the seminal punk band, the New York Dolls.
0: That means nothing to me. Oh,
1: we have so much to train you on. But you would really know him for his most famous 80s hit. Hot, hot, hot. Because he turned into Buster Poindexter. All right. Feeling hot, hot, hot. I mean, I know a song.
0: Yeah. But okay, he's pointless. He was best friends with Bill Murray. Yeah, he's more talented friends.
1: Carol Kane as the ghost of Christmas present. She's a treasure. Another person I feel like I don't need to give credits for. So I'll just say Princess Bride, Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values, Kimmy Schmidt and Taxi. She
0: is an Adam's Family.
1: She's the grandma.
0: I forget that. I forget what she's in, because she feels like such a chameleon. And she's not. She's playing a kooky person with curly hair. Well. But in my brain, they're so different, which is a testament to her talent.
1: She is actually um, different in everything she does. So. But you know what I mean. Her look isn't wildly no. different.
0: And I adore her on Kimmy Schmidt.
1: In this movie, she's so fucking good.
0: She's great. I love that she just keeps punching Bill Murray in the face.
1: Ooh, you know, I like the rough stuff. She's, uh, it's, she's a very, a, she's it's a very, it's a cute good, little
0: mischievous fairy.
1: It's a very good bit for the Ghost of Christmas present yes. and the perfect turn on the story mm-hmm. that they needed to make. I,
0: I was okay with that. Could they have just done that with everything else? Yes, they could have.
1: Robert Mitchum as the president of the company. He's the obligatory old famous actor in an 80s movie. Playing That's... the boss man. Although we get into weird territory with the uh, the pet programming <laughs> stuff with him. It's just this wonderful moment of Robert Mitchum being absolutely absurd, which just makes things funny.
0: If only they knew.
1: Alfre Woodard as Grace. She's alright. She's a good foil to, she to is, Francis. She
0: is a good foil because she's very light and sunny. And I like when she's talking to her son, you'll show him, you'll start talking, and then we'll sue him.
1: <laughs> like, that's we're going to sue that doctor. And it, it
0: did make me sympathize because our son did have a little speech delay. It didn't go on quite as long, but it did happen. So I do get the whole like when he starts talking, you just go,
1: <gasps> it's one of those nice examples. Throughout this movie, the car- the actors that we like the best are the ones where the writing really did take the Christmas Carol role and make it relatable to a modern yeah.
0: audience. Well, it wasn't like okay, the kid's got a crutch. Like it, it wasn't that. It was just that like he's got an issue and it, it, it's trauma.
1: Yeah, and uh, he's Tiny Tim. He
0: he's the Tiny Tim, and that's okay.
1: It's also so incredibly dark. It was like, how did he lose his voice? He saw his father die. Okay. And I'm in the middle of a comedy, so I'm also chuckling at it because it's dropped like a bomb. Because the way it's
0: said is, <laughs> is for comedic, fuck you. That's what it is. It's a comedic, fuck you. All
1: right, now we get some r pawns because there's so many cameos. There are cameos. a r The Night the Reindeer Died. It's pretty good. That promo was I
0: great. I, I want to see that movie. <laughs> I want to see The Night the Reindeer Died.
1: You know, let's start with Mabel King.
0: Mabel King.
1: Well, she would be Steve Martin's mom in The Jerk. Mm-hmm. She was also in The Wiz and Mama on What's Happening.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. She's and cool.
1: she is in The Homeless Shelter, so she makes a nice little appearance here. Anne Ramsey as one of the homeless people who are trying to accost Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. The only reason you would know Anne Ramsey, number one, she's this movie is dedicated to her because she passed away shortly thereafter.
0: Aww.
1: Number two... She was Mama Fratelli in The Goonies. I was
0: about to say, I know, I know her. Why do I know her? Yep, Mama Fratelli. Wendy oh. Malick. Yep. Of course. I, we knew, I knew Wendy Malick. Man, that makes me want to go watch Just Shoot Me. She's phenomenal on that show.
1: Uh-huh, and Emperor's New Groove. She really good in Emperor's New Groove. Her ten minutes on screen are just so good. I just, mm, I want to wash some dishes. <laughs> <laughs> the street musicians were some very famous people, including Paul Schaefer you can Ooh. clearly see. But the trumpeter uh-huh. is Miles Davis. Fuck. No like no fucking shit. Okay. They got Miles Davis to be in this movie. Mm, cool. John Murray, Joel Murray, and Brian Doyle Murray all appear in this film.
0: Okay, so like there's and I, I recognize some of the Murrays and I was once we met his brother's like, that's a Murray. I know that's a Murray. I don't know which one it is, but that's a Murray.
1: I don't remember who Joel is playing in this movie. Okay. Because I missed him. Joel is the one who was on Mad Men.
0: Oh, he is one of the tech guys.
1: John Murray was his actual younger brother. Yeah. And then Brian Doyle Murray plays his father in the flashback sequence.
0: Okay. I did not recognize that one.
1: Yeah, Brian Doyle's the one that lots of people don't remember, but he's the much older brother yeah. and a bigger guy. And then one, once you learn his face, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Brian Dolan Murray. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the cavalcade of actual just random mm-hmm. people that show up in all the promos, including Jamie Farr, Robert Goulet, Buddy Hackett, John Houseman, Lee Majors, and Mary Lou Retton.
0: <laughs> Mary Lou Retton. Could
1: and. You get, could you get more 80s? And the solid gold dancers.
0: Did forget that those were a real thing.
1: Who were the actual solid gold dancers. Of course. Trivia. Trivia. Carol Kane was very upset about having to rough up Bill Murray. Oh. And when she twisted his lip, uh huh, she actually tore it so badly they had to shut down filming for several days.
0: Oh yeah. That would make her feel that much more worse about having to rough him up. Mm-hmm. Because I you already hurt him by accident.
1: I think i've heard her talk about that she's not into violence mm-hmm. at all
0: yeah and so
1: having to do any of that stuff is very upsetting to her bill murray's fall in the restaurant that we did get a giant chuckle out of mm-hmm. that was not planned
0: cool
1: the floor was still wet from when he threw water on the waiter oh. and then he slipped and fell but he sold the he shit just out kept of it going you just you lean into it and you just go Richard Donner did not think that Robert Mitchum would accept such a small role because he was a fucking screen legend. There you go. Yeah. So Richard Donner said, you know what? Just come in and meet Bill Murray. No pressure. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Bill apparently just took the meeting over. He came in and we never got a word in edgewise. He's so wonderful with stories and we didn't want to talk. The minute you get around Bill, you're swooning. Everybody is. So Mitchum just was like, fine, I'll do the movie if I get to be around this guy. Cool. In the Frisbee sequence, the tree on set says, Dick loves Lauren. If you remember when Bill Murray is playing the puppy on the children's show, but is so dead serious about it.
0: Yes, Uh, and his bone looks like a penis. Yep, that's... On purpose. I think that was on purpose. What do you think? I'm going to go with, yes. Dick's (laughs)
1: everywhere. Anyway, on the tree it says, Dick loves Lauren. That is a reference to Richard Donner and his wife producer, Lauren Shulin Donner. Oh, well, that's cute. As you mentioned, pet programming is now a real thing, and Roku offers several pet programming channels to leave on for your pets to watch while you are away.
0: Now I want to go watch pet TV. <laughs> I just want to watch puppies. I want to I wanna watch puppy programming. I know. Because is it just puppies, or is it for puppies? Or is it the same thing?
1: Hmm. I need to
0: figure... We're going to have to report back about Puppy TV.
1: There are a couple of sequences where you see posters and stickers that have the Keith Haring's Free Africa images on them. That is subliminal messaging. That is something that Richard Donner also included in Lethal Weapon 2. Hmm. So apparently he was very into ending apartheid in South Africa. That's what all that was referring to. Oh. Okay. And so they were putting some messages. He and other directors, I assume, were probably doing similar things and putting it in the background of the film. So people would be like, oh, yeah, that too. Cool. And last but not least, the house that Frank lives at still exists at 5828 41st Drive in Woodside, Queens. It is almost completely unchanged from how it looks in the movie. And as of 2016, it is still there. How many Comasutra poses are you going to give this movie? Two. Mm, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair.
0: For Carol Kane. <laughs> it's all for her. What about Bill? I mean, like, he gets like half a point. Because like, I know it's not his fault, but like, you still suck in this movie.
1: Yeah, he does.
0: Like, I, I get it, but.
1: I'm going to go two and a half because I did find myself enjoying it while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, no, it's not very good. No. Especially, it just falls apart finally at the end. But I also, the sentimental moments really got me. Like, they really went deep on those. For me, which is weird because the comedy undercut all of it. I wish it had been blended better together because I think it could have packed a way more emotional punch. Okay, you're done. You don't have to talk about this movie anymore. What What are we watching next time?
0: We're taking a weird turn. Another one? A weird one because this is not a movie necessarily about Christmas. Hmm... But it takes place in and around Christmas.
1: Okay. So it
0: counts. It is technically a Christmas movie. Yes. And we're going to
1: watch Gremlins. Well, there you go.
0: All right. Until next time.
1: Bye, everybody.